you would turn your chairs around now, back to the front, please. Uh, show of hands here, how many people were actually born in Bloomington, Indiana? Oh, we have some townies here. Okay, a few. A few. Uh, I was actually born 1968 in Evansville, Indiana. We have anybody else born in Evansville? A few people. A few people born in Evansville. Yeah. All right. I thought of this question. Anybody here not born in a hospital? Oh, we have a few. We have a few. Not in a hospital. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Interesting story. So uh, I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to jump into our teaching time this morning. Okay. Let's bow our heads. Hey, God, I thank you that we can open up your word now and it speaks to us. And it's more than just words and sentences, but it has the power to speak to our soul, power to change us, power to help us to be the people that you've called us to be. And uh, today I ask that you just help me to be the mouthpiece through that. And uh, we thank you for the goodness that we know through Jesus. Amen. There are some things in our world, in our lives, everyday things that we use that help our lives to be easier, help our lives to be convenient. But the point that I want to make is I don't always know in the end if they help our lives be better. First thing I want to show you is a garage door opener, okay? This is the garage door opener that you see up there is the one that I keep on my visor of my car. And when I pull in my driveway, I hit the little button, the garage door magically comes up and I pull my car in, I hit it again and the door goes down. Now, some of you in here remember when they didn't have those kinds of things, right? Okay, some of you in here actually lived in a day and a time when you pulled the garage door up and then you actually had to pull the garage door down. So when you came home and it was raining, you actually had to get out of your car, walk up to the door and lift it up and walk back in your car, pull the car into the garage, get back out of your car, walk out and pull the garage door down. Now I know that's a foreign concept to some of you who are younger, but that's the way that it actually used to happen. Now, here, here's, my, here's my beef with the garage door opener. I love my garage door opener. Actually, it quit about four months ago and I had to put a new one in with my dad. But I'm not sure in the end if the garage door opener really helps my life be better. And here's why. Because my house can become like this little castle, okay? And I, in the morning, open it up, back up my car, close it and leave. And when I come home, I pull in the driveway, open it up, pull my car in and close down the garage door and leave. And the people around me in my neighborhood, walking down the street, the neighbor, it is very easy for me to live in this world where I just come out of the garage and leave and go back in. I never get out of my car. And it breaks down this sense of community that I have because I have this wonderful thing called a garage door opener. Now I love the garage door opener, but I realize in the end, that it doesn't always help me be a better neighbor. It doesn't always help me build relationships with people. In fact, it kind of does the opposite of that. Here's another thing that I think is great, but it kind of does the same thing. Social media. I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Read Twitter. Facebook. I love Facebook. It's good. Great. But in the end, of my 2,371 friends that I have on Facebook... I don't really know if I have deeper relationships because of Facebook. 
In fact, the times that I'm on Facebook, I could probably spend actually talking to a real person and developing a deeper friendship and relationship with that person, but I'm content to look at a screen and just manage my friends that way. So I have these friends, you know, so I don't have deeper relationship, but I do know that the guy that I sit by in biology class in high school, I have pictures of his new puppy. Okay, so, I, you know, I, I'm good. I feel like we're really connected. Haven't talked to him in 25 years, but I got pictures of his puppy. Facebook is great, but in the end, I don't know if it helps me be more connected with people, people at a deeper, deeper level. So I'm having trouble getting the words out of my mouth. All right. Here's my big idea this morning. Life together is better. Life is better when you're together with other people. That's the way God created us. That's the way God wired us. God did not create us to live in a vacuum. He created us to be in relationships with other people. And the things that I talked about at at the very top are things that we love that are, are convenient and we like them. But in the end, I'm not sure that they really help us live better together with other people. Now, when I, when I give you this idea of, of community, that life is better together, some of you push back. Okay, some of you push back. And let me give you a couple reasons that you push back. Number one, people are a hassle. Okay, people are a hassle. People are crazy. People are opinionated. People are grumpy. People are grouchy. People are rude. People are bossy, annoying, and needy, okay? And maybe me saying that just uh, explained all the people in your life, all right? Maybe you think, man, the people in my life, I mean, they're really missing on making a reality show out of these people that that I know. Maybe when you go home for Thanksgiving, it's going to be more like the Jerry Springer show when you guys gather around, you know, a table. I get that. I know people are a hassle. Sometimes it's easier to isolate ourselves than it is to really build relationships and community with other people. But today I want to challenge your thinking on that. Another reason that you may resist this idea is because we underestimate the power of acceptance. Many of us totally underestimate that. Here's the thing about friendship. The thing about friendship that makes it so great is also the same thing about friendship that makes it so dangerous. Because the reason we're attracted to certain people is because we are acceptance magnets. We love to be accepted. And when people accept us, it's like crack. We just love it. We, we love being accepted. We love being around people who accept us, who like us, who tell us how wonderful we are. And we are repelled by rejection So we are magnetized towards acceptance and we are repelled by objection. And that can be a great thing and that can be a dangerous thing because acceptance leads to influence. Acceptance leads to influence. So when we are accepted, the people that we are accepted by then have influence in our lives. And when I'm in an environment where I'm completely accepted, I am open to the influence of the people that are accepting me. That's what makes friendship so great, and that's what makes friendship so dangerous. Let me illustrate it with a story. First time I smoked a cigarette, I think it was eight years old, 
My grandfather was a prolific smoker. He had the chair. He had one of the high ashtrays that he set beside the chair, you know, a decorative ashtray that had the two birds in it that like crossed like this with their beaks and you put the cigarettes there in your beaks. So me and my four cousins were downstairs watching professional wrestling and eating circus peanuts with my grandfather because that's what we always did on Saturday morning. He goes upstairs and leaves a cigarette that's like 75% still there just going. So my cousin Gary is like, Dan, pick it up and take a puff. Pick it up and take a puff. My other cousin Lonnie's like, yeah, do it, Dan. That would be cool. My brother, my other cousin join in. Yeah, do it. That would be really cool. So I'm like, I want to be cool. So I pick up the cigarette and take a puff of it. And <coughs> so we pass it around and we, we all do that. Now, <laughs> would I have done that would I have done that if it was just me, I mean, by myself? I mean, I look, I'm like, would I have picked up burning leaves and put them to my mouth and inhaled them? Probably not. But I was with my cousins. I, I was in this, this group of acceptance, and I, I felt free, I felt accepted, and they had influence on me to get me to do something that I didn't necessarily think was a great idea, but they had that influence on me. So because we underestimate the power of acceptance... Sometimes we have poor relationships in our lives that don't help us. They don't build us up, but they still influence us sometimes in not so positive ways. This morning, I want to show you an incredible verse that we're going to find in the Old Testament that's going to outline this principle that we just talked about here at the very beginning. And so I want you to launch your Bible app to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. If you're old school and you use paper, you can flip it about to the middle, book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 20. Let me tell you a little bit about that verse before we read it. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, of sayings, very wise sayings that was written by a man named Solomon. And he was known to be the wisest man in all of the world. He was very wealthy. He, he was a king. And God gave him these incredible things of wisdom to, uh, to write down. And we're going to look at one of these verses this morning. Now, the great thing about the verse we're going to look at this morning is it is a principle and not a command. Okay? So it's something that is just true. It's not a command where you either do it or you don't do it. And you're supposed to do it, but you feel guilty if you don't. It's a principle that just is true. No matter what you believe, it's just true. So maybe you're here today and uh, you're not sure if you buy all this Jesus stuff, this God stuff, this Bible stuff, and you just came because somebody invited you and you figured it was easier to come than it was to hurt their feelings, or maybe you came because there was a hot chick or a hot guy that was going to be here and you figured that I'll just come for that reason. You know, whatever the reason is, we're glad that you're here, but I want to tell you, this verse is going to apply to you even if you're not sure that you believe everything about the Bible, it's still going to be very true and very applicable to your life because it's a principle that if we will leverage every day in our lives, recognize it, accept it, and learn to leverage it, it sets us up for success in different areas. So Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, here's what Solomon writes to us. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Now, the first half of that verse is a promise given to all of us. Walk with the wise. Let's take a moment and talk about what that means. And a couple other translations of the Bible say 
spend time with or associate with the wise, but it means becoming and investing and having relationships with wise people, with people who have wisdom. And here's the deal. We live in a culture that doesn't push us to have relationships with wise people. In fact, they kind of push us the other way. They encourage us in, in building relationships with people that are not so wise, and they kind of glamorize that. If you're a parent, you totally understand this principle, right? For most of us, we experienced this principle when we were a child or when we were a teenager because our parents were very concerned about the people that we hung around. Now, we didn't understand that when we were kids. We thought, mom's just freaking out, dad's just, you know, trying to make my life miserable because I don't really understand what's the big deal about all these people that I'm around. I had a friend in high school named Steve, and Steve was, uh, he was a lot of fun to be around. Steve was the guy that if anyone said, hey, I dare you to, he would already commit to doing it before he even knew what it was. He was like one of those kind of friends. My mom really didn't like me hanging around Steve all that much because I wouldn't say that Steve was a wise person. He was a lot of fun. He was a little bit crazy, but he wasn't always wise. And so sometimes as, as parents, we understand this. When we were younger, we didn't always get it because some of you maybe uh, got moved out of a neighborhood because of the kids that were in your neighborhood and you were playing with. Some of you may have had parents that moved you out of a school into another one because your parents understood this principle. Because all of us have had parents who say, you know, you can't go over to Stephen's house because I'm not sure what goes on at Stephen's house, so therefore you can't go over there. And then we say things like, well, mom, I love going to Stephen's house because when I'm in Stephen's house, his parents are never there. We can do anything we want. We eat whatever we want. We watch whatever we want. We go anywhere we want. It's awesome. I love being at Stephen's house. And your, prom, your mom probably looked at you and said, you just answered my question, right? That's why you can't go to Stephen's house. It's because all those things that I just said. God wants you to build relationships and be in community with people who will encourage you to walk with Christ, to be a better person. Now, why is that? The second part of what Solomon says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. Because just being around wise people will help you become wise. Spending time with wise people, developing friendships with wise people, listening to wise people, hanging out with wise people will help you grow wiser. Now, it would be awesome if that worked with weight loss. I was thinking, I mean, wouldn't that be awesome if you wanted to lose weight, all you have to do is hang out with skinny people and then you will lose weight. I mean, so if, if you wanted to drop a few pounds and you were just like hanging out with supermodels, like the, the weight would just come off of you, right? But it doesn't work that way, does it? But in this principle, Solomon says it actually does. If you hang out with wise people, they will kind of rub off on you. Their wisdom will kind of shed off of them onto you and you will become a wiser person because you are hanging out, spending time, building a relationship in community with wise people people. The second part of the verse that Solomon gave to us this morning, though, is a warning. The first part was a promise. The second part is a warning. He says, associate with fools. That means hang out, invest time with, develop friendships with foolish people. And who are foolish people? Well, here's the definition of a foolish person. A person who knows right from wrong, but doesn't care. They know that there are consequences to what they are doing, 
but they just don't really care. They just choose to worry about it tomorrow. Let's just have fun right now. Let's just have fun tonight, and we'll worry about all that stuff tomorrow after we wake up or next week, or we'll just pretend it doesn't really happen. In other words, they don't care. And here's why. Solomon says, associate with fools and get in trouble. Other translations say a companion of fools suffers harm. The message translation reads, hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Now, the warning is not that if you hang around foolish people that you will become foolish because many times that's our pushback. Like, you know, you don't know me. I I can hang around people. I got some friends. They're a little crazy, but I hang around them. But like, I'm not going to be like them. I I understand. Solomon's not saying that you're going to become like them. Okay? So our... Let me explain that so our defensiveness can come down. He's not saying, no, you're going to become like them. What he's saying is at some point in their life, when you associate and hang around foolish people, something will happen. And when you're associated with them, when something in their life breaks down, the shrapnel is going to be close enough that you are going to take some of it because you are just associated and close enough to them. It's a very subtle thing. They will, your life will be eventually impacted by the foolish person or the foolish people that you're around, that you hang out with. If your friends don't care about their lives, chances are your friends are not really going to care much about your life. If the friends that you hang out with aren't concerned about the health of their marriage, it's a pretty good chance that they're not really concerned about the health of your marriage either. If the people that you associate with don't care very much about their reputation, it's a pretty good shot that they don't really care much about your reputation either. If the people that you're with are careless with their finances, it's a pretty good bet that they're going to be careless with your finances too. If you have friends that don't, could care less about their physical health, it's a pretty good chance that they're not going to look out for your physical health either. It's just the way that this principle works, which means that whether or not we want to be like them or behave like them or we think that, that we are them, the fact is eventually the foolish person that hangs around foolish people eventually suffers consequences of the behavior of the people that they're around. That's why Solomon says, walk with the wise and become wise and associate with fools and get in trouble. Now, last Saturday, I saw a beautiful example of this carried out on the football field. So I'm going to ask the guys to roll a videotape, and I want you to watch on the screen. Okay, this is Townsend and Kent State. The game was played last Saturday. Okay, so there's a punt. And this guy right here, Andre Parker, number 10, picks up the punt and running back, and he's going, he just might go all the, no, he got tackled. Okay, he got tackled there, but pretty good punt return. All right, now let's play the video again. One more time from the beginning. This time, Anthony, please play the audio with the video, okay? Here we go, same play. Joseph Hopesell from a first half fumble. Snap is high. This ball knuckles, bounding down. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's running the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Holy moly. How often do you see that? How often do you see that? (laughs) Okay. 
So Andre Parker picks up the ball and is running the other way. So he's going the wrong way that he needs to be going. And the crazy thing, if I could show it to you again, his teammates are blocking for him. Okay? They're blocking for him running the wrong way. He's not going the right way. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go in there and block for him. I think that's a great analogy of when we associate ourselves with foolish people that are not going to help us, not going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Sometimes when you do that, your friends, even though you're doing things you shouldn't do, are going to be there cheering you on. They're going to be helping you. They're going to be patting you on the back. They're going to be encouraging you. They're going to be standing right there encouraging you to do the very thing that you shouldn't be doing. What a great example. So when Solomon says, walk with the wise and become wise and associate with fools and get in trouble, it's a great analogy on that screen. Now, the question that some of you are thinking, though, is when I say this is, well, Dan, aren't we supposed to, like, build friendships and relationships with people who are far from God? I mean, we're not supposed to just isolate ourselves in this little Christian silo and not have anything to do with outside people. You are absolutely right. This church was built on the mission that that we help people who are far from God come to know God. That's the mission of why we exist. But here's the thing. Never confuse compassion with wisdom because those two things should never contradict each other. And if you're compassionate about helping someone who is far from God, you should never put yourself in a situation with them that's going to compromise you making choices that are not very wise. And here's why. At some point when that person makes a bad choice, when some point when that person hits rock bottom, you need to be the person whose life is in a good place to be able to help that very person. And if you compromise your integrity out of compassion and put yourself in a place where you cannot help them, then you are not really helping them at all. The best thing for you to do is to keep yourself in a healthy place and yes, know them, yes, pray for them, yes, be there for them. But when they come crashing down, then you are in a situation where you can help them. One of the best examples that I can think about, and I was talking this to my wife and she actually came up with this analogy, so I'll give her the credit, is a beehive. Now, many of us have seen beehives, and um, you, you understand how beehives work, and they're made of hundreds of thousands of bees, and they all work together in this beehive, and that's kind of their home, that's kind of their core, that's kind of where they do their work, that's their home base. But the thing about honeybees is they leave their hive, and they go for miles. I don't know how far honeybees go. They go like a long way. They go over to Mrs. Smith's flower garden and, you know, they know where all the cool pollen is and they go and they, and they do their work and uh, go to the next slide. I don't know if you can see this here, but yeah, look at the pollen that's all on the legs of that honeybee there. That's, that's an amazing to think that, that they go out and get pollen and do all this work. But then you know what the bees do? The bees always go back to the hive, because that's kind of where their base is. That's where they're grounded. That's where they're rooted. They go out and they do their work, and they always come back to the hive, because the hive is where their foundation is. Now, I suppose if you were a honeybee, you could say, you know what, like those people um, in my hive, they're all hypocrites, and they don't really understand me, so I'm a honeybee, and like I'm going to go live with the wasps. 
I don't think that happens, but I guess you could say that if you were a, a honeybee. Or, you know, I got this dude, I know he's an ant. He's got like this awesome ant mound and uh, I'm gonna go live with him for a while because like he understands me. Honeybees don't do that. Or they don't say, you know what? I'm done with this hive. I'm just gonna go live way out in the woods just all by myself and just be like the lone honeybee. That's what I'm gonna do all by myself. I don't need other people. I don't need no hive. I don't need any of that. I can just do it all on my own. Bees never do that. Bees always come back together in their hive and they all go out and they all do work and then they all come back together. And I look at that analogy and I think that's a great analogy for those of us who want to follow Christ and want to be in a good sense of community. We have a foundation. We have a community. We walk with the wise. And there are times we go out, we go out of this building, we go out in the world, we go to work, we go to school, we go to our neighborhoods and we work and we show God's love but we come back to what we know is true and a group of people that love us, know what's best for us, speak truth to our lives, hold us accountable. And that's the foundation that allows us to do what we do. Now, a real life example of this. Um, one of the greatest examples where I see community happening is in the young life leaders that... Um, that I see here in Bloomington. And that's not the only example of community. I don't, I don't mean to say that, but firsthand I get to see that and get to work with many of them. So any, any of you who are young life leaders here in Bloomington or have been in the past, would you just raise your hand? I know a lot of you sit over there, a lot of them. Okay, you can put your hands down. Um, I think when I was at Becca and Dane's wedding is when this like blew me away and hit me. Becca and Dane, uh, Lockhart got married this summer. There were a lot of former Young Life leaders, current Young Life leaders at their wedding. And when the wedding was over with at the reception, it was like a gigantic fun party. And I stood back and me and my wife were looking at them and they were laughing, they were enjoying things, they were having a blast. And I realized this is an incredible sense of community that these individuals have, that, that they hold each other accountable. They, they, they know um, good conversations. They're, they're just with one another. They're, they're helping each other be in good environments. They're good for one another. And it's just this incredible community that goes on. And when I see it, I go, life together is better. It's just better when it's lived out that way. Now, I'm sure there's lots of other examples of, of great community, but that's the one that, that I see. And so on your purple sheet, if you would, uh, if you got one of those when you came in, and if you didn't, you can get one on the way out. We have a list of life groups that are starting here this fall at Exodus. And uh, if any of you are life group leaders, would you just come up for a moment? As I wrap up my time, I want to just acknowledge a few of these people who are life group leaders, and then I'm going to pray for them. And so... You'll see we have 10 different opportunities going on this fall of ways for you to develop community. And we're kind of kicking this off. And uh, there's people up here that are leading groups. And the, the beautiful thing about the groups on this sheet is it is really a very eclectic mix of opportunities. Uh, Age-wise, uh, some of them are more social than study. Some of them are more study than social. Um, some of them you're learning other types of skills. And so uh, just quickly... Um, I want to tell you who these people are, and just real quick, we have Luke and Jill Shimmick over here, and so they're going to be leading a life group that's for 
singles or for couples, uh, any, any age, it's going to be open uh, to all different age groups. There are details on the purple sheet. Here's my wife, Pam, and her and I are going to be leading a life group for married couples. We're going to be studying uh, what helps married couples stay together through thick and thin. This is Marcus Dickinson. He is going to be leading a life group called Tea and Ink, which has a very interesting uh, slant to it, and it, and it is built around creative writing. And so if you like to write creatively, or even if you don't and you would like to try it, uh, a group of people that will gather and just try to express themselves in that. And we have Chris White and his wife Susie is not with him, but uh, Chris and Susie are going to lead some uh, discussions on financial issues. And so if trying to figure out how do I manage my money, what does God say about how to use my money, make it go as far as it can, how do I honor him with it, they're going to have some discussions that are going to go on uh, about that. Next to him is Jason Lanham and his wife, Amy, who is down working with our kids right now, is going to be leading a college women's group. And uh, she's going to be, uh, I think, for eight weeks. So details are on there. Um, and then next, Amy, not, not, not Jason. Jason is just filling in, okay? He was just a warm body that was related. And, uh, and his wife is better looking than him. But uh, anyway, we got... That's Jason and Amy Lanham. Next is Claire Roth. Claire is going to be leading a group that, that's going to be learning about prayer and having discussions about how we connect through prayer, how to learn about prayer, how to be more effective at prayer, how to hear God through prayer. And then Jamie Bennett is on the end, and Jamie is going to be leading a group for single females and understanding how God uses them in that stage and how that can be a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And uh, I am also going to be leading a college men's group that uh, meets on Sundays at nine o'clock, but there's more details on this sheet. But it, these people up here represent in no way, every way to develop community. But what we have tried to do is provide opportunities for you to experience life together with other people because we believe it's better. We believe that the principle in Proverbs 13, 20 lived out makes us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, life-changing, joy-giving people. So what I want to do is pray for the people that are um, up here, these leaders, and pray for these people on the sheet. Also, I want to let you know on the back of this purple sheet, all of these groups are listed with a little check mark. And if you want information about any one of these groups, if you'll just check off that box, put it in one of the green boxes. I will get that information to these leaders and have them contact you either by phone or email, whichever way you prefer, and let you know details. And by doing that, you are not saying, I am absolutely, positively going to be in that group. All you're saying is, hey, give me some more information. Let me know the details. All right? Let me pray for you this morning. Hey, God, help us to believe and help us to know and help us to experience community in the way that you designed it to be. And to know that if we surround ourselves with people who are wise, um, that will rub off on us and we will come up with these incredible relationships because this life is better together. And that's the way that you designed it to be. And Father, help us to uh, really look at our lives and know that um, maybe there's time spent, maybe there are people in our lives that really aren't helping us, um, that really don't build us up 
And uh, Father, help us to figure out in our, in our minds what we need to do to those kind of relationships and not cut them off, but realize that, that we need a sense of biblical community. And then like a bee, we need to be able to, to, to have those relationships with people, but keep us in a good spot so that we can be there to uh, show Christ to them and do it in a way that's honoring to you and not tearing down of ourselves. So I thank you for these leaders. I pray over their groups and uh, as they... Some of them have already started meeting, others will. I just pray that um, you would help those experiences to be extremely life-giving um, in every facet. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys. You can have a seat. Each week here at Exodus, we uh, finish after our teaching time with taking communion. And so I'm going to have a prayer in just a moment. And there will be people that will be up here to my right in the center and to my left. And they're going to have the bread and the juice. So at whatever point you feel comfortable, just come up and tear off the bread, dip it in the juice. And we do that every week to remember who Jesus is. And when he said, do this in remembrance of me, the sacrifice that he made on the cross so that we could have grace and mercy and forgiveness. There's also be people to your right through the double doors in the prayer room. And if you're here today and you want someone to pray for you about anything that's going on in your life, uh, there'll be people that are back there that would love to pray with you. Also, if you have any kind of spiritual decision, spiritual question, there'll be people back there that would love to help you with that, guide you, answer your question. So I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. God, we remember Jesus because he is the one who you sent down here to earth to become a sacrifice for us because of uh, the imperfections, that we, the mistakes that we, have, that we make. Father, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And uh, our forgiveness and our mercy and our eternal life and our redemption is all tied to him. And these elements represent his broken body now and his shed blood, which was poured out for us. So uh, we thank you for Christ. And uh, we take this moment now in a very personal way just to remember and feel the weight of that love and that sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen.